Galatians, uh, uh, the Galatian church, they were being bombarded uh, with lots of different things and a lot of people telling them that they had to believe these other things. In a way, they were asking the people that were coming into the church, they were saying there's these outside cultural things that you really need to add to your faith in order to really be a Christian or to prove that you're a Christian. And what's fun reality is, as I read through Galatians, is that I see that's much like what we see today. We are being bombarded by culture that's telling us that in order to prove that we are a Christian, that we have to live the way that they live or believe that the way they, they believe in order to prove that we are who we say we are, that we are followers of Christ. And they'll always throw out, well, Christ uh, loves the world and so should you. And I, I, I just smile and, and I say, well, what does verse 17 and, and, uh, say? And also, what about, you know, 10, 11, 12? And, and uh, we go, you know, we, we go around and we read those and they conveniently like to only quote part of verses to make it say what they want to say. And it's convenient today. It's real easy to say, I love and whatever, fill in the blank. It's really easy to say, and, and a lot of times, you know, we'll say, I love that restaurant, and then you'll have a bad experience at that restaurant, and then it's like, well, I don't love it as much, right? <laughs> it's like, Anise and I were desperate to find good restaurants when we came here that served sushi. We, we like not necessarily sushi, but we love sashimi, which is the raw form of sushi, and, and uh and so me and uh, Raul have a love, and so we like to do, do that together. But it was hard to find. We finally found one. We got uh, fresh fish that day, and we came back a couple of times later and served us not-so-fresh fish. And, um, and we were like, oh, that, it just turned us off. We were like, we're never going to go there again. And the reality is, as I share those experiences, because our love so often is so fickle, our love so often is not defined in such of a biblical sense, but more or less what people can do for us or what people say. And, and the culture really defines it based on total acceptance of whatever somebody believes or what they don't believe. And it's a very interesting concept. And, and in our studies through the summer, we had planted, we had talked about gleaning from the life of Christ and we had planned the elders to take part in that over the summer, and it was kind of God's blessing in the way that God had ordained it. Uh, who knew I would rupture, or not rupture, but tear my Achilles, and, and lo and behold, that would be the easiest thing to fix, and that at the same time, my neck would go out and not be able to be put back in by a chiropractor. So we, you know, God ordains all of these things, and I really want us to learn from the life of Christ. And for that, I would love us to go and examine uh, John chapter 13. And I want to examine and learn about love from the life of Christ. It's a common passage that everybody talks about. And a lot of times you'll notice that Jesus says, do you understand? And of course, he's asking that question, knowing full well that his disciples don't understand. 
a lot of times when we read these familiar passages, we look at them at first glance and, and we see, we go, oh, this is the great foot washing passage. We, you know, we ought to serve one another in that way, in that capacity. And we really focus on the foot washing and we focus on serving. But the reality is, is this great passage is bookend by the aspect of love. And this is an amazing passage that teaches us what love truly is. And I pray that as we look at this passage, your heart would be touched and the Holy Spirit would encourage your heart in love as it has greatly encouraged mine over the last month of studying this passage. And just, I have too many notes to share all of them with you. But I love to share and glean some of the simple and beautiful pictures of love from this passage. So would you pray and ask God's blessing on this portion of His Word. Lord, we want to give you the first and foremost priority. We want to hear with ears that are wanting and anxiously waiting on the bated breath of your Word as it is breathed out from you and through the power of your Spirit to our hearts. I pray that we would glean, that we would um, gather from your teaching, that it would incite maybe fresh eyes as we think about love and what does it mean to love from the example of your Son. Jesus, thank you for giving us this illustration this morning to teach and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus has gone through and he has been paraded through the streets. They have Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And yet they thought he was just becoming an earthly king. They didn't see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And now we see that he's coming and he's preparing for the Passover. This is Thursday, you know, mid-afternoon, almost evening. The sun is going down and they're preparing for the traditional Galilean Passover, which was held the day before the traditional Passover. And he meets with his disciples in the upper room. And we see in verse 1, he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose during supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, and I, I bet he was shocked, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do not wash my feet or do you wash my feet with a question? And Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed his feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place at the head of the table, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Who called, you called me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We can jump all the way towards the end of the chapter and Jesus looks at his disciples and in verse 34 and 35, after all the, the supper is done and the betrayal has, the betrayer Judas has gone out, Jesus looks at them and says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is an amazing bookend of love as he starts out with this incredible term of endearment. And when he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. A lot of theologians have said as they look at the, the Gospels that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they write about the body and life of Christ. They write about the things that have, that have transpired through the life of Christ. But theologians have said that in John, we really begin to see the heart of Christ. Not just the life of Christ, but we see the heart of Christ. I want you to notice as we look at learning from the life of Christ that you notice the command that God expects us to follow his example, his example of love, to love as he has loved. Notice that when he said that he loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's the idea of to tell aside, to the very end, to the fullest amount, to the very completion. These are amazing passages to think about. You think that John really understood after the death and burial and resurrection of Christ as he writes 1 John, that he truly begins to understand the love that Christ has for us. Sinclair Ferguson, a pastor and author and theologian, he writes about this passage and he, he illustrates it by saying this is like a painting. 
You know, how many of you have ever gone into art galleries and looked at painting and said, that's a great painting. It's a, it's a nice painting, and you move on, and that's a nice painting, and that's a nice painting, and I'm not sure why people like that painting, but sure, they like it. It must be nice. <laughs> I don't get it. And you just kind of walk through, and I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I go to art galleries, I, I can walk through a, an art gallery in in matter of minutes. <laughs> I remember taking art in college and thinking, this is, this is silly. I loved it when we were able to go down and they took us to the archaeology section. I said, now we're getting somewhere. I don't know why, like broken, old, and dead things grabbed my attention, but I loved the, the history behind it. I loved that when we went to the Louvre and it did my heart good for my, my wife was like, sure, let's go to the Louvre. We're going to see a bunch of old things. And then I was pointed out, and I was like, that was there during the time of Daniel. And she's like, all of a sudden, this whole different life. And she's like, wow, this is amazing that these things still exist. You know, and, and looking at this passage is, is kind of like looking at a painting, and, and God has filled in the outline of this beautiful painting But the more you stare at this painting that is being painted for us in this passage, and the more you look at it intently, the more beauty that comes and the more realization, there's more beauty to behold the more you gaze into it. Sometimes we look too quickly past a painting and we don't see some of the beautiful things I'm amazed at some of the small details that painters can paint. I'm amazed at the beauty of in which we see God's love on display in this gorgeous passage. You got to know that this is before the Passover feast. You got to keep in mind that Jesus is in the last hours of his life. Think about In just a few hours, in 18 hours or so, he is going to be on the cross. It was very important for Jesus' death to incur at the right time. It was going to incur right at the Passover when the spotless lamb, the lamb that the, the people of Israel would have had in their home, the perfect lamb, and it would be slaughtered and offered up for their sin. And Jesus was going to be on the cross at that time. So that way, he would provide an offering, a sacrifice, a payment for our sin that would satisfy our holy and righteous God. So that God's judgment would pass over us. It is this night before that he writes us this passage in which he gives us this amazing term of endearment in which he says, having loved and continues to love his own that were in the world. That term should mean something because if you go to John 17, he prays for those disciples and he says not just the the disciples now, but those that are to come. And he prays for those that are in the world. He's praying for us even then as he's preparing to go to the cross in John 17. It's an unusually tender moment in 
this time of the Passover when he says those words. And we see Jesus' heart on display. I think it's truly amazing because Jesus knew exactly what was coming. How many of us would follow through if we knew exactly what was coming? I probably would have said to my wife, Honey, are you sure you want me to go play Ultimate Frisbee on Father's Day? Knowing that this was to come. <laughs> I, w- I would have said, Honey, you know my track record. You know I like to break things. Right? Are you sure? But I did not question because I don't know what's to come. But Jesus saying in verse 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that his time had come from God and he was going back to God. I think it's amazing to think about that. Here he is in the night that he's going to be betrayed by a close friend that he has spent over three years with. Maybe you know what it's like to be betrayed by such a close and endearing friend. He knows that he's going to be beaten cruelly, unmercifully, humiliated. And then the next day, horribly crucified on the Roman cross. If I knew all of this was happening ahead of time, and if I was at the table, I probably would have said, where is the nearest donkey that I might get out of town? (laughs) You know? Most likely, we would not do that. But Jesus, knowing this, this is when he says, knowing all of this was going through, the thinking about, and that probably was weighing heavily on his heart. He has this illustration of love. Knowing all of this, that during supper, he comes down from his position at the head of the table. Think about what is going on. This is during supper that he goes down to look at people's feet. I don't know about you, but that is not my most favorite thing to do. But here's the reality in what he's saying that this was happening during supper. Hold on a second. Something has happened that shouldn't have happened. When he went down and he girded himself and he pours water into this basin and he lays down to wash the disciples' feet. John gives us a very good clue because during supper, this is like saying... Uh, having inviting friends over during a you know rainy wet storm and and they come down your driveway they get to your house they're at the doorstep and because we live in Washington nobody you know carries an umbrella their 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 garments are wet on the outside and as a host you invite them in to come eat supper and as they come to eat in supper you go sit down and you start to eat and then all of a sudden, one of the hosts go, oh, by the way, may I take your wet clothes from you and put them aside to dry? You would never do that. The first thing you would do when you come to the 
as a host is you would take their wet jacket, you would take their shoes, you would say, hey, let me hang it here for you. Let me invite you in and you would be a gracious host. But here we see something is terribly wrong. Something has gone wrong. Because you know that for somebody to wash their feet, that was relegated to the lowest servant. This, let me tell you, in all of history in Israel, friends don't wash friends' feet. I know all the the elders are probably worried I'm going to wash their feet today. I love you. I'm not touching your feet. (laughs) Ouch, laughing hurts. (laughs) But there is something terribly wrong because nobody has washed their feet. This is wrong. This is not appropriate. Their feet have not been washed. This is a shock. This is not only a shock that the Lord at the head of the table, the master of the ceremonies, the master teacher, but the Lord of Lords stooped down and knelt from his high position to the lowest of positions to become a slave and wash the disciples' feet. It's no wonder that nobody said anything until we get to mouthy Peter, right? Peter is never short on words. He's always ready to proclaim something. The most shocking thing about this is why hasn't anybody washed their feet? Now a disciple, if there wasn't a servant, there would have been somebody that surely would have offered to wash by tradition the master's feet, and in so doing, wash the other's feet. But why is shocking? We don't have time this morning, but if you read Luke 22, 26, and 27, in Luke 22, we see why the disciples had entered into the feast arguing about who was the greatest disciple. What's so shocking about God's picture of love is is that while they were yet arguing who was the greatest among them, the greatest among them stoops down, down, and down to where he's at eye level with disgusting feet. I love it that our Savior equates disgusting feet with with the idea of cleansing us from our sin. Because I hate feet. (laughs) But here's the thing. The disciples are arguing and they miss the point entirely of the night. They miss the whole point of why they were there. Does that sound like church? (laughs) They were trying to point out and seek who was the more dominant. Maybe they were still arguing about who should wash the feet. I don't know, but we do know that Jesus ended the argument. And so the disciples got the shock of their life. 
as Jesus bowed down and washed their feet. So stunned that they said nothing until Peter came along. This is very similar to Paul's understanding in 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9, chapter 8, verses 8 through 9, when Paul says to the church, and of course this was a very proud church, a church that was really driven by the culture of their time and really were missing the point. And Paul said this to the church, and he said, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness, earn, I can't even say the word this morning, earn, earnestness of others that your love also should be genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, high position, yet for your sake became poor, low position, so that you might, you by his poverty might become rich and elevated into the relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's amazing as we think about this. this is a, a, Jesus is giving us a portrait of what he came to earth to do. He's giving us this painting as he's showing that in Philippians chapter 2 that this was his mindset, that he didn't seek equality. That goes against our culture of today. He didn't, when it says that he, he didn't think that sitting on the throne of God was something, equality to be grasped, that idea of to grasp means to be treasured, but he became a, he, he came in the human likeness and form as a man, he came lower, and then as a man he became a servant, even lower, and then even lower yet, he became obedient, submissive to the plan of God, to the Father's will, and died on the cross for our sins, yet lower still as he loved us to the end. What love is pictured here? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. That's, what do we learn from this? This is an amazing picture. What is Jesus showing us by his life and picture of this gospel love? He's really redefining us and helping us to look at love in a pure way. He's giving us the painting of the fact that God is love and we can't love unless we know God, unless we love God. It is impossible for us to love one another. And we see, first of all, that this love becomes active and complete with humility. Think about that. Jesus showed us a very active form of love. Not only that, but a very complete form of love when he knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. It was an act of humility. Love is activated in our lives when we approach loving others from a position of humility. It's really hard to love each other from a position of pride. 
I think this is an amazing aspect that we very rarely hear when it comes to the act of love. Do we humbly consider ourselves? Do we look at people? I mean, think about it. When you're looking at feet, when, when the, the slave is washing the feet, it is as the people are above them because they are seeing the lowest of filth. They're coming from a position of lowliness. Love becomes so active in our life. Say, I really have a hard time loving and then fill in the blank. Well, love activates and it, it actually is completed and it's easier to love when we come from a gospel perspective of humbleness. The other thing that we see here is that love recognizes that no task is beneath us. If we are truly humble, then there's no task beneath us to do for Christ's sake. I think that uh, Peter was making sure that the pastors and elders reminded themselves of that as we look in 1 Peter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5 as he talks to the elders and, hey, shepherd the flock, get down with the flock, love the flock. I can imagine this idea of this idea of love when Jesus is looking at Peter, right? Peter, Christ, when he was on trial, God knew that and God loved him. And God said, go to Galilee because I will meet you there. The disciples went to Galilee after the resurrection and they were there doing their thing and they were they were fishing, and Peter sees the one coming out on the water, and he's like, I know who that is. He throws off his garments, and he jumps in and swims to Jesus and throws himself on Jesus. But in that conversation, Jesus says, Peter, do you really love me? Do you love me? And he says that three times, and then he says, if you love me, Go shepherd my sheep. Go care for them. There's no task that is beneath us to do for the sake of Christ. The third thing we see is that love requires thinking of others more highly than ourselves. The disciples hadn't washed each other's feet because they were arguing about who was the greatest. They should have been washing one another's feet by tradition. This wasn't something that should have shocked them when they came in. They, there was a, a pitcher of water. There was a, a basin there. There was a towel there. This wasn't by surprise. They should have come in. They should have said, yes, one of us needs to wash. And they should have been arguing about who was going to do it. Saying, I will do it. No, I want to do it. And they should have washed each other's feet. But no, it, it, in order to truly love, it requires us to think more of somebody, not less. That's what Christ did. That was his example for us when he died on the cross. Which leads to number four. Whoops, where'd I go? 
Number four, that we should get our focus off of what our rights are. It's hard to love one another when we're so focused what my right is. God had more rights than anyone, and yet he showed us the most humble form of love. Or love itself in its purest form. Jesus certainly had the right for the disciples to wash his feet. If anybody should have had his feet washed first, it was Jesus. And if you don't remember, I mean, most people wore sandals. If you want to get an idea of what washing feet is like, just look at my Josiah's feet. He never wears socks. His bottom of his feet are black. And he is like paper white. (laughs) He carries a lot of dirt with him. They did in those days. It was very common that the only thing dirty on a person when they got there because of all the robes they wore to keep the sand off of them was that their feet were filthy dirty. Jesus had the right to be first and yet doesn't say that anybody washed his feet, does it? I want you to see something that took me by surprise as I studied this passage and stared at it and stared at it and stared at it. Love requires receiving. I hate receiving compliments, (laughs) Anissa will tell you. It makes me squirm. I have no clue what to say because I want to deflect every compliment that comes my way. I have not learned to become a good mirror and just let it bounce off. But here's the thing. Love requires receiving, not just giving. As As we look at this, it's so easy for us to serve out of pride. Look what I can do for you. Look how good I am. Look what I can offer. And it makes us feel good. It elevates us as look how good we are. Peter, I'm so glad for Peter because it gets us a look into what Jesus really meant. Peter's unwillingness at first to let Jesus serve him does not stem from humility. Peter wasn't being humble, but from pride. It's an embarrassment. It was embarrassing to have the master of the ceremonies wash your feet. It was not done Verse 6, Jesus came to Peter and he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? In a sense, like, are you kidding me? Jesus says, you don't understand. But afterwards, you will understand. That implied that his And the idea here is, as he talks about it, he says, and Peter is like, and Jesus says, I need to wash you. And look at what Jesus says. Peter said to him, because Jesus says, I need to wash your feet. But Peter answered and said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus gives us a further glimpse at the beauty of what Jesus is truly doing. And he says, if I do not wash your feet, You have no share with me. 
And of course, Peter, being Peter, says, okay, then wash all of me. Because <laughs> I'm with you to the end. Until I get asked by a servant girl that you're a Christ follower. <laughs> then he, he, he becomes like a puppy dog with his tail between his legs <laughs> and runs out of the courtyard. Right? First sign of trouble, Peter doesn't open his mouth. He turns tail and denies Christ. This is an amazing. So many people are offended by the gospel or don't seek or don't see their need for the gospel for Christ because they're proud of their good works. And that equates for us. Peter, I mean, we're so, we we're like, why would Pete, why would Jesus wash our feet? They view themselves as if. Many times we go through church and we view ourselves like we have clean feet. It would be embarrassing for us to admit that we're, our feet are dirty and disgusting. But you know, in reality, Jesus was giving us a picture of what Jesus did on the cross and that he was preparing to purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus just showed an example of an Old Testament picture. If you see up there, it's called the brazen laver or laver or the basin, the bowl that contained pure water, not dirty water. And in this, that you would come in and the priests would come over to offer your sacrifice. And as they would come to offer their sacrifice, they would wash their hands and feet to purify themselves. So in that way, they would offer their worship in an acceptable manner before God. And, and if they did not wash their feet as they come to serve people, the priests, and as they went in and offered the sacrifice to God in, in the, the tent, if they did not wash their feet, they would die. And here we see that Jesus is preparing his disciples Jesus in love, in a humble way, was purifying them, was showing them what it meant that he was going to do when he died on the cross for their sins. This is the same time in which he instituted the Lord's Supper, when he invites us to the table to share in the gospel. His blood that purifies us from all unrighteousness. His body that was the perfect lamb given as a sacrifice for us. And this is amazing as he says, we need to receive love. We can't just give love. And, and, the, and that brings that to the question is Peter, Jesus was saying, I need to purify you. And he said, there are those, there's that one in here that isn't clean, that isn't pure. But I must purify your feet. It was God's love is a purifying love. And I want you to see the circular aspect of this love and that is, that if we need to receive this love, this purifying love from Jesus, we can't just go about giving in the body of Christ. We need to regularly have our feet washed. 
when we receive Jesus' love, His forgiveness of our sins, in 1 John 1.9, John says, if, if we are... If we confess our sins, if literally, if we lay our feet before Christ, He will wash them. That's a shocker. John is, I believe, writing a lot of his ideas of love and this idea of forgiveness from the night in which he learned the greatest example of love. But we, being so prideful so many times in our abilities, we, we forget. And that's the beauty of communion. And as we do it and often remembers of Him is this idea that we're constantly being reminded of His purifying love and which He loved us, that He demonstrated His love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's when we remember that and we go to Christ and He is daily and weekly and monthly washing our feet, we then can truly come and love others from a position of humility, point one. It's hard for us to wash other people's feet. But look at verse 15 again when he says to the disciples, he says, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. The word, there's two words for example in the Bible. This one here is, is, I have shown you, and now I want you to go and fill in the rest of the painting. The idea is that I, the master shows you, now it's your turn to do exactly as I have done. Jesus is saying, follow my example. And as a real follower of Christ, believers wash each other's dirty feet. Now think about this. The idea what Jesus was doing was showing him an example of, of him forgiving their sins, of purifying them from all unrighteousness. As we come and go from the church body, as we worship together, as we serve together, as we serve one another, he's saying, be my example. And as you approach each other, approach from a point of humility and wash each other's feet. He is saying that we're all sinners. And that as we travel this life, we are going to collect the dirt of sin. And as you do, be ready to humbly serve one another. But ultimately, he's saying, love one another. As you wash each other's feet, you say, oh, I love to serve. I love, I love to help. Just make sure it's not with scalding water. Don't burn them. Sometimes we do that. We're like... You're a sinner. Don't you know how bad you are? And we just, it's all scalding water. But it's not the tender way in which Christ laid down before the disciples and washed them. D.L. Moody said this, To obey the truth and not know it is impossible. 
right? We, need to, we know the truth, and that's why we obey the truth. To know the truth and not obey it is unprofitable. Jesus' example of humble love should be our reality. This is real love. This is not cultural love. This is purifying love. Can you imagine what our community would think if we went around and we helped purify each other's dirt in our lives? Wow! How much love and humility and making, if we are fighting to make each other more important than ourselves, it'd be easy for people to see the gospel. Jesus gives us an amazing glimpse into his holy heart. May this verse in verse 1, may it be profoundly part of your thoughts when he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. May we also love those that God has brought to us and may we love each other to the end as we see our Savior come to bring His body, to bring His bride. We are His bride, spotless. And may we be constantly washing each other's feet so we can be spotless when Christ returns. I pray that this act of love, this picture of love, this portrait of love, it would be a joy to gaze into further in your life and let our Heavenly Father bless you with the beauty of God's love towards us that while we were yet sinners, He died in our place to wash us from all unrighteousness. For all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be washed clean from their sin. Have you turned to Christ? Have you laid down before Christ? And have you let Him cleanse you from all unrighteousness? We call that repentance, to turn from your sin, from your life, and lay down at the feet of Christ and say, here am I, save me from my sin." Have you done that today? Have you done that period in your life that you might enjoy the love of Christ in Jesus? I pray, I pray that is every, on everyone's heart. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, we are drawn to this amazing portrait of your love. May we learn from this example, may we have in a small way in such a short time seen a little bit of who you are and may we rejoice and may we look at this and say, I am one of 
Jesus' own. I am one whom he has loved. And may that mean something deeply to us and realize that there is nothing for us greater in life than to be loved and cared for and nurtured by you, our Heavenly Father. And may that speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.